Morning. Man, how about that game? That was, uh, that was awesome. Yeah, that was really great. So we're talking about teamwork today. We're talking about fighting. It is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Man, if I had a dollar for every time my mama said, I would just love on Mother's Day a picture with you and a llama. You know, I'd be a rich man. So we hope, uh, we hope that you, you like, uh, you like uh, llamas and you'll take an opportunity to have a picture taken with a llama. Um, you know, I have been really fortunate in my life. Uh, I have uh, really an incredible mother. She's has, is just been so exceptional. So I have just been so fortunate. And in addition to that, I have really an exceptional wife who is also a mother. So it's, um, it's been just a great blessing for me, and um, I just want to say that here on Mother's Day. At Grace, we, um, we celebrate all women at Grace. So beyond the picture with the llama, uh, we have a gift uh, for all the women here at Grace. When you, when you leave, when you go out, you'll see them in the hallway. There's, um, there's actually a tablecloth with llamas on it, and there's a gift for you on top. It's not a llama. Uh, it's actually some soap, and uh, one of the scents of the soap is lavender. And if you were here on the first week, <laughs> some people were here on the first week, it's why they're laughing, uh, that the number one scent for men, the number one scent for men that puts them in the mood for love is lavender. So I'm not really sure who this gift is for, uh, <laughs> but we, we, have a, we have a gift for you. I, I'm going to try to talk a little bit more about this next week, but you know, as you read through the Scriptures, particularly as you begin the whole Bible in the book of Genesis, uh, a woman is the culmination of creation. Like everything culminates when the woman has been created. It's like God creates her last and says, well, that's it. I can't do any better than this. We're done. Because as you read through the story, there's a refining process. It's just constantly there's a refining, better, 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 better. And finally, Adam, and then finally the final piece, the crown of creation, which is a woman. You know how many verses are about the creation of a man? One verse. You know how many verses about the creation of a woman? Six verses. Six verses. If you're sitting next to a man right now, I see somebody doing that right now. That's good. Just tell them six verses. Six verses for me. That's what it took. Uh, we understand that this day is a wonderful day for many of us. We're rejoicing, but we also understand that Mother's Day can be a painful day for a lot of people. And we hope that grace would be a place, as a spiritual family, would be a place where you can rejoice and we can rejoice with you when you're rejoicing. But we can also be a source of hope and encouragement if um, this day is a difficult day for you. Our prayers, our prayers are with you. All right, let's jump right into it. We're talking about fighting day, and we're going to get extremely practical, some practical things. You know, there's one thing, one thing that all great couples, all couples, where things like are going well, they're clicking on all cylinders, there's one thing they all have in common, and it's what we're going to talk about today. Let's start chapter 5, verse number 2 of this song of all songs. is the holy of holies of all songs in the Bible. This is called the greatest song of all. She's speaking. She says... I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking on the door. Actually, the word used there is he's pounding on the door. And he said, open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. What exactly is going on here? There's, there's a number of speculations. I just want to give you up front as we launch into this. One is that she's just asleep. And he comes along banging on the door to wake her up in the middle of the night. 
after she is already bathed and she's in bed and she doesn't want to get dirty, you'll, you'll hear this, she doesn't want to soil her feet again, she says. That's one theory. The second theory is, is that she actually is having a dream. She's dreaming everything that we're getting ready to read here. And the final one is this. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for a marriage that has gone tired, that has become sleepy, a sleepy marriage. They become apathetic. It's the normal path of all marriages. That's like there's all this passion, and you can't imagine when you have all that passion that one day, you mean all the passion won't be there? Oh, no, that'll happen for everybody else, but it won't happen for us. And then somehow the, the fires die down. And maybe it's a metaphor of the fact that they become sleepy in marriage. You know, apathy is the enemy in, in relationships. And maybe they're, maybe they're experiencing that. So there's all the theories. The one thing we know for sure, they are having a conflict. That's what everybody agrees on is they're having a conflict. Verse 3, she says, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My beloved thrust his hand through the latch opening my heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my beloved, and my hands drip with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened for my beloved, but my beloved had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called, but he did not answer. So what she ends up doing, I'll just paraphrase it, what she ends up doing from this point is she leaves her bedroom. And she goes out into the city in the middle of the night, and she's running around the middle of the night, and she's calling out. She's trying to find him. And back in those days, they would have watchmen that walk around through the city. And it says, the watchmen found her. They heard her calling. And then it says something very strange. It says, they beat her. They bruised her. Like, what? Who would do that? Who would do that, especially to the king's wife? Who would do that? And so we think that maybe, maybe this is a metaphor, or maybe it's a dream, because she knows that the two of them have allowed their relationship to get tired and sleepy. They've allowed apathy to set in, and she is hurting. She's hurting because of that. We have to swim upstream against all of that. And you know what they need? You know what these two people need? They need a good fight. They need a really good, good fight. Fights are terrific. Fighting is, is awesome. Fighting is extremely, extremely helpful. You know when there's a thunderstorm outside and there's all kinds of lightning? It produces negative ions, and they attach themselves to pollutants in the air, and it causes the pollutants to fall from the air. So after there's been a lightning storm, you go outside and go, oh, man, the air is so clean. That's what they need. They need the air cleaned, and they need a fight. Now, a bunch of us are afraid of fights. And the reason we're afraid of fights, it could be a bunch of reasons, but let me give you one reason. We've never seen it done right or well. We've never seen it done in a really good way. But what they need to have is a good fight because this is what all great marriages have. Every now and then I'll come across a couple and say, you know, we never fight. And I always tell them the same thing. Would you please never tell anybody that? I mean, like, you're, you're one of the only people in the world. So just keep that to yourself. You're an outlier. I want to tell you that most couples have fights. And the greatest of marriages, the greatest of marriages have conflict. But they do the conflict really, really well, which is what we want to talk about today. Mary Case said, no pressure, no diamonds. You want a diamond out of your marriage, and there's going to have to be pressure. It means there's going to be conflict. There's going to be fights. There's going to be arguing. There's going to be disagreeing. And there's no reason to be afraid of that. You just need to do it, and you need to do it really well. I did a wedding yesterday, and the couple said in their comments to me beforehand, says, when they disagree, they would often hold hands and talk out their disagreements. I thought, wow, that's... 
That's wonderful. That's something to really aspire to. Conflict done right is a beautiful thing, and it clears the air. Les Parrott, who is him and his wife, Leslie, have been doing relationships and marriage research, talk, counseling, study, everything for probably three decades or more now. This is what he says. Happy couples have a lock on healthy conflict resolution. Now, we need this in our lives. We need it professionally, and we need it personally. We need it in the business world, and we need it in our homes. But we have to have to have it in our marriages because this is what causes the breakdown in a marriage. Can you have a fight? Can you let the lightning go off and clear the air? How do you do that right? Researchers can do this. This is an amazing statistic. Researchers can predict with a 94% accuracy rate, whether or not the relationship will fail or thrive, fail or thrive based on just one data point, how a married couple fights. Not if they fight, but how they fight. That's how important this is. So how do you fight? How do you fight well? How do you fight fair? Now, the Bible says we should do everything for the glory of Christ, including fighting with our spouse. That when you're fighting with your spouse, you should keep in mind, I'm doing this for Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I'm doing it all for his glory. I'm doing it the right way. I want to respect and honor God, and I want to respect and honor my spouse. That when we do that well, things go well. Now, listen, it's the small stuff, all right? That's what most fights are about. They're really about the small things. That's why I sent that video out this past week on the text message. It was from that show, Everybody Loves Raymond. And they're fighting over a suitcase. They've been on a trip. They came back. They put the suitcase on the landing of the stairs. And for the next two weeks, there's just like this, this, this underneath the surface, this smoldering, this anger, right, with each other. And they finally have an all-out fight, which is the clip that I sent you. And they're tugging on it, and they're yelling, and they're screaming at each other, right, all of that. But it's, a, it's the suitcases. It's the suitcases that get us. The average married couple fights about little, tiny, small, nagging things 312 times a year. You know what Krista and I fought about on our honeymoon? I don't know either. I can't remember. I can't remember right after the honeymoon. I have no recollection. It was too small to recall. We talk about this all the time. We're preparing, you know, this past week. We just, we talk all the time. I so said, we're talking about fighting. What should we tell? What story can we tell about us fighting? I don't know. I can't remember one, but we fight all the time. So there must be one, but we can't remember. You know why? <laughs> because we forget. And here's the natural shift. When we have a fight in our homes, we have a fight in our home. It's about those small things, 312 times a year. And we have the small things. We start on topic, whatever that topic is, a suitcase or who cares, whatever it's about. And then we make a shift. It usually in 90 seconds, they say, researchers say the shift happens in about 90 seconds and we stop arguing about the topic and we start arguing about the way we're arguing. You have to stay on topic. It says in the song, chapter two, verse number 15, it says, catch the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. What, is, what are the little foxes? Little foxes are all little suitcases. It's the small stuff that's so small we can't recall, but in the moment they seem like Mountain. So how can we fight, fight well, fight fair? All right. So we've got our Tinder back here. All right. We want to do some right swiping today, not left swiping. So a right swipe is, is to swipe right on developing the skill for healthy conflict resolution. If you develop that skill, that is a swipe right on you having a thriving marriage, a winning marriage, which is really what we all want to have. John Ruskin, who is an art critic in England years ago, said this, when love and skill work together, expect a masterpiece. You want a masterpiece? Of course. That's why we got married. 
Nobody gets married to say, you know what? I just want to have a miserable marriage, so let's get this thing over with. Nobody, I've never married anybody like that. Everybody goes in saying, I want to have a masterpiece. You got to have love, and you got to have skill. And you can develop those skills. There's an African proverb that says this smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. I would like you to look at your conflict, whether it's professionally or personally. I would like you to consider your conflicts today as an opportunity to develop skills to make life go really well. Smooth seas do not make for a skillful sailor. So point number one, very practical, okay? You have to deal with your brains. Got to deal with your brains. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Our brains are so amazing, just absolutely amazing. But here's what happens in Mitzvah. When we get in certain situations, it could be the way something feels, the way something smells, even a sense of smell. You know, when you smell something, oh, that reminds me of, or you get really nostalgic, you remember this time, or blah, blah. Anything can take you back. A sight, a smell, an atmosphere, a word, a trigger. But things trigger us, and we can't recall all the specifics, but all of a sudden, boom, we go off. Have you ever seen that happen to somebody? It's like they were acting normal, and all of a sudden, wham, they just go completely off. You're like, what's wrong with you? Or maybe that's happened to you. Like, what's wrong with me? What's happened to me? Why is it? Because it's all up in our brain. It can be very emotional. We can't remember the specifics. But it's been triggered. It's been triggered. And we have to be careful of those triggers. And in that instance, what research says is, is you have to allow your mind, your rational rational mind to take over and say, you know what? Let me step back. Let me step back. I'm being triggered by something and I have to think and not allow my emotions and not allow my feelings and not allow these triggers just to go off on me. There's a very, very well-known scripture verse. It's in Romans chapter 12. It says, we should, we should be renewed by our minds, constantly transformed by the renewing. We have to strengthen our minds and be careful of all the triggers that hit us. When I took uh, an MRI many years ago for the first time, And the tech asked me, right as I get ready to go in, he says, are you claustrophobic? And I said, no, of course not. What are you talking about? And I looked inside of that MRI machine, and it was six feet long, right? That was all. I could see the opening in the back. I could see the wall. And then they put me on that little conveyor belt, and my brain went nuts, right? I thought, man, they've got me, I mean, at least three or four miles inside of this machine. I mean, it just kept going. I thought I saw a wall back there, but I mean, I just going and the walls are falling in and I almost screamed at the tech, get me out of here. And you know how I survived? You know how I made it those 30 minutes is I had to allow my mind to take over the str- I said, you know what, John, get a, get a hold of yourself. Get a hold of yourself. Think. It's only six feet long. You feel like you're in six miles, but it's only six feet. You're fine. You're fine. We have to do that in, in our relationships because the little stuff seems to be so big, you have to back up from the mountain every now and then and say, wait, wait a minute, it's just a suitcase. All right? And we have to allow our minds to be strengthened and not allow the triggers to take off on us. Tim Keller says this, marriage does not so much bring you into confrontation with your spouse as to confront you with yourself. It's really about us looking at ourselves, backing up, strengthening our own minds, not allowing the triggers to get a hold of us, allowing us to step back. You know what? I should, I should say I'm sorry. Like the smart thing right now would be to say I'm sorry. My brain says, no, don't dare do that, right? All those triggers and the emotions says, don't do that. You can't. You got to win. You have to win. And if you say you're sorry, you're going to be the loser. So you have to win. And so there's this battle that just happens over and over. 
But my mind says the smart thing for me to do is to own this thing and to say I'm sorry. That would be the rational thing to do and to move on. Wouldn't it be? Seems smart. Seems smart. Y'all remember Pete Rose? Pete Rose, baseball player, Cincinnati Reds. Remember that? Remember how they accused him of gambling on baseball? Does anybody recall how they accused him of gambling on baseball, right? He denied it. No way I didn't do it. He denied it for, I think, years. There's no way I didn't gamble on baseball. And then all of a sudden in a day, he flipped. He said, oh, yeah, I did it. I did it. He started, he started, he started admitting all over the place and said he was sorry that he gambled on baseball. And then he wanted to get his apology out to everybody. So he created a website and he was going to send everybody a baseball, a signed autograph, Pete Rose baseball. And on it say, I am sorry. It's a great idea, isn't it? All it would cost you is $299 to get the apology from Pete Rose. Has anybody ever apologized to you that way? Like, I hear you saying you're sorry, but I know it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me. Or have you ever apologized that way? So the smart, the smart thing to do is just to own it. And our mind says that. We have to strengthen our minds. Now, listen, everybody. I've been saying this every week of this Tinder series. We gather here every Sunday at Grace Community Church. We gather here and at West Falls Church and on Grace Live to study the principles of the life of Jesus Christ. And the thing that has amazed me the most is I've read Christian resources on dating marriage, right, and non-Christian resources on dating and marriage. Here's what has blown my mind. They both say the same thing. They say, in dating, you want to have a great dating life? You want to have a great marriage life? The non-Christian ones don't mention Jesus, but they all they do is talk about the principles and the qualities and the characteristics of who Jesus is. So we gather every week, and we talk about if we want to have a great dating life and a great marriage and a great professional career, to take on, to take on the very characteristics of Christ is a known fact that it works and it works well. So that's why we gather. We gather here to study who is Jesus. And I said this last week. Whatever you do, don't date or marry a Christian. Whatever you do, don't date or marry a Christian. Jesus never tells us to become Christians. What does he say? I want you to become, his famous saying, followers of Jesus Christ. To say I'm a Christian is just lip service. To say I'm a follower of Christ means not only do I believe, but my behaviors are shaped by the life of Christ. That's how you have a smoking hot marriage. That's how you have a great dating life. That's how you have a great career. It's because you become a follower of Christ. Now, when I was growing up, a lot of times people say, well, okay, you're a Christian, so tell me the date, the date in which you became a Christian. Everything came all about this, like, open says to me, I'm becoming a Christian in this moment. And it really wasn't emphasizing that Christ-like behavior and quality, and we got away from that. But I want to say something on the flip side, if I can, for just a second. We mark moments in our lives that are very important. We mark them, right? This is graduation time. People are graduating from high school, they graduate from college, and there's very important to us man, you better believe I want to go up on that stage and get that diploma and mark this moment I have the degree. You better believe every bride that I've talked to, she wants a proposal, right? It's clear. Will you please marry me, right? It's clear. We're marking a moment. We're marking a moment in a marriage ceremony. We mark moments because they're very important to us, very memorable. We mark moments when we have decided. I have decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. We mark them. And if you've never marked that moment, if you've never made that decision, that moment, I'm going to become a follower of Jesus Christ. We're told when that happens that his spirit, the spirit of Christ, enters into our lives and empowers us to live the Christ-like life, that life is just better. We're empowered. And I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, 
to consider doing that this very morning, becoming a follower of Christ. It'll impact your life in all kinds of wonderful, wonderful ways. All right, now I'm going to talk next about this. I'm going to tell you about something so small, you're going to say, John, you're crazy. You mean to tell me that's going to have a profound effect on my conflict resolution? Yes, it is. Research backs it up. But you're going to say, there's no way. That's too small. That's too simple. That's too easy. I want to talk to you about a very simple habit that you can add right now. Like when you leave here today, you can immediately add it to your conflict resolution. Very, very small and has a profound difference. It'll turn two people from being adversaries into being allies. It creates teamwork. Very, very powerful effect. And that is this. You want to swipe right on saying the word we. We. People who use the word you tend to be negative and cause more conflict and cause condescension. You users in a conflict, you, you did this. You shouldn't, you. When you use the word you, it is not leading towards something creative. Here's what we found. This is amazing. Think about this. People, this has been studied. If you'll just start inserting the word we instead of you in conflict, now we're side by side, we, and we're attacking a problem together, and now we use the word we. Here's what we, we are doing together. Here's what we. If you'll just begin to use the word we, it will dramatically, according to research, will change the conflict going on in your life. Use the word we. Say the word we as much as you can. It'll have a profound effect on your conflict. Now, we want to show you an image on the screen. Tell me what immediately you see. Go ahead and yell it out. What is that? What is that? It's a duck. It's a bunny. Which one is it? It's a duck or a bunny. Here's what research shows us. Whatever you see first, whether a duck or a bunny, that somebody can tell you, if you see a duck, say, well, I see a bunny. Say, oh, okay, I see the bunny now too. Thank you very much. But you, you'll keep going back to seeing the duck because it's your perspective. We all have a perspective. C.S. Lewis says this, what you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing. Now, here's what happens when we start using we language, when we're we users instead of you. We're then validating we. So my wife has a total different perspective on so many things, all right? You know what I'm saying? Does anybody... Does anybody know what I'm talking about? She has a total different perspective. Now, I can either handle this situation and say, that's crazy. You know, how could you see it that way? Or I could say, we could say, oh, well, that's interesting. Okay, explain that to me. Tell me more. Oh, okay, I can see there is, a, there is a rabbit there. I only saw a duck, but there is a rabbit. I read a book on the Navy SEALs. The Navy SEALs do a few things, and they do it really, really well. And one of those things is communication. And so when they're out there in the field, they got the SEALs all over the place, and they're communicating, and they're all giving their perspective of what they see, and that's why they attain a high level. Now, you can, in your marriage, you can either be a you, and you guys are not on the same team, and you're attacking each other, or you can look at it as a we and hear the perspective and say, oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that perspective and make the two of you better. And it's a simple transformation of using the word we. I want to challenge you to begin to use that immediately. I was talking with Krista this past week. She didn't know I was doing this point. We hadn't discussed it yet. And uh, we had a confrontation. I have no idea what it was about. I can't remember what the conflict was about. It was too small. All I know is she caused it. But... <laughs> We talked later, 
about how quickly we got over this. And I said, you know, Krista, there's so much data that says if you just insert the we, it'll change. And you know what she said to me? She said, you know what? You didn't even recognize it, but that's exactly what I did. And that's why we got through it so quick. So there you go. (laughs) We. All right, swipe right on we. All right, here's the last one. Very practical. Create a culture of appreciation and information. I can't say that enough. We tend, and all kinds of things, but marriage, we just slide. That's the normal, right? We slide, we go with the flow, and the flow tends to lead us towards negativity. Familiarity, familiarity, familiarity breeds contempt, right? We slide downhill. You've got to swim upstream. You've got to fight against it. You have got to create an atmosphere of appreciation, something that's positive, something that's uplifting. If you are a person of faith, if you're a person of faith in Jesus Christ, faith in Christ at its very core, at its root is positive in nature. It's affirming in nature. It's loving. It's uplifting. We have to do this. It'll, it, man, it will change your marriage like nobody's business. You have to create a positive atmosphere. John Gottman says, this guy is a total guru, right? He looks at marriage very scientifically, right? He, he looks at all the numbers, stats. He's been doing this for decades. Everybody who is an expert in the area of marriage always goes to Gottman because this guy has done so much research. And he says the single most important predictor in a failed relationship is contempt, when we have contempt, that's belittling statements. It's the rolling of the eyes. It's the shaking of the head. I can't believe it. It's the comments when we go, oh, that's so foolish. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. Whatever. That is what contempt is. He says contempt should be outlawed. It is the single most important predictor in a relationship that is going to fail. And Gottman goes on to say that the antidote to all that. So how do I stop it? How do I stop it? We've got in a negative spiral. So how do I stop it? Appreciation. You want to nix it, you want to attack it, appreciate. Start appreciating each other as much as you can. That's how you swipe right on yourself and on your marriage, appreciation with each other. And you have to share information. Now, here's the problem with information, everybody. You know, life is going so fast, isn't it? I mean, we, our phones, we're on 24-7 all the time, right? Text and emails, and life is just going so fast. It's sped up so much. And so we don't share information because we're so busy. It's not that we're being bad. We're just gotten ourselves into a habit because life, is, we're interrupted. Like, I'm getting ready to say this wonderful thing, this piece of information to Krista, and I'll just, I'll just forget. I'll forget because of the speed of life. What we do know is this. The machines are sharing information, Right? You walk into a Starbucks or a Panera Bread, all you do is swipe the phone or swipe your watch over that thing, and all this information is shared about you. And what would happen if all that information from the machine stopped? Oh, we'd have a big problem on our hands. We'd have chaos in the streets. Things would break down. That's the same thing that happens in marriages. When the information flow stops, you have to share information. So I'm going to give you a very, very simple tool, and I want to encourage you. Man, at least once a week, institute this. You want to say we, and now you want to institute the sharing of appreciation and information, and I'm going to tell you just how it should be done. You should write it down. Write down two things, two things every week. If you can do it more, do it, but two things every week that are positive. You need to share positive and negative information. Simple. We fight about small stuff. Share the simple things. Oh, you look nice today. Oh, you smell nice today. Oh, thank you so much for taking out the trash. Thank you for cleaning the dishes. It's Mother's Day. You're a fantastic mother. Here's breakfast in bed for you today, right? Appreciation. You have to share the appreciations, and they're simple. You can fill up the car with gas. Thank you for doing that, paying the bills. The list goes on and on and on. Positive. Here's the negative. The negative must be shared. Does anybody believe in the resurrection? Don't raise your hand. Does anybody believe in the resurrection? 
I'll tell you what gets resurrected. Things that irritate you get resurrected. Like stuff happens and like you can feel a little bit and you're like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. And then you go on with life and all of a sudden a few days later, out from the grave it arises, right? You know, just here it comes, you know. There's a high rate of resurrection of irritations in our marriages. They come back from the dead. And so rather than waiting for them to come back from the dead, go ahead and get the jump on it. And do this every week. Write down that one negative thing, that one critique. But it's done in an atmosphere of appreciation, which makes all the difference. And I need to give you some rules on this because they're actually really important. So you write it down. You write down two positives, one negative. It doesn't have to be, you know, something crazy. Okay, again, two positives, one negative. Now, when they're written down, let's say Krista's writing them down for me. She writes them down, two positive, one negative. All I can do is when she shares the positive, all I can say is two words, thank you. Shares it, thank you. I share them back. She says, thank you. I have a really hard time figuring out something negative to say about her, but let's just play because, you know, we're making this up, okay? I say something. All she can say is thank you. Now, here's the rule. All you can say is thank you. Got that? That's first rule. Here's the second rule. You cannot talk about the negative thing for 30 minutes. Oh, yes, because you'll shut the whole game because you're going to want to talk about the negative thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? When they share the negative thing, you're going to say, well, wait a minute. Okay, 30 minutes. It allows you to get a little bit of objectivity about the situation to calm down so you can react in a meaningful and a meaningful way. So do this. This is highly effective. It creates an atmosphere of appreciation. It creates information being shared going back and forth. It, it, it is going to eliminate these situations where all of a sudden you have this monster that is raised from the dead in the middle of a, of a conflict in your life, right? Because when we get in conflict, we get very, very historical, don't we? Not necessarily hysterical, although we sometimes get there, but we definitely get historical in the midst of a conflict. So we want to swipe right on saying we. We want to strengthen our minds and back up and not allow triggers to go off, and we want to create a culture of appreciation and information. Now, next week, what I would really like to talk about is something I talk to couples. Couples actually talk to me about this all the time. It's a great, great need. Many couples say, where'd all the passion go? I want the passion back. I want to feel passionate in our marriage. Next week, I want to give you the five top ways that you can immediately add passion to your marriage right now. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for Mother's Day. Bless all the mothers all around the world. God, I thank you for marriage, and I thank you for conflict, an opportunity to become highly skilled people at conflict that will deepen our marriages. Lord, bless every marriage that's a part of Grace Community Church. Strengthen every single one in Christ's name. Amen.